Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle Podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design, where each episode I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process. I want to discover what makes each designer, artillier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Al Liu, an interior designer in New York City. In the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. In this episode, I'm excited to have Pascal Girarding, one of my favorite artists, as my guest. Pascal is a ceramic artist, educator, and founder of Pascal Girarding Art Studio. She has contributed to the dynamism of contemporary ceramics through her large-scale architectural installations. Pascal has developed a significant and constantly evolving body of work. She has gained international recognition for her creation of unique artworks for high-end interior design projects at such venues as Noble Broadway Restaurant and Clement Restaurant in New York, Four Seasons Private Residences in Pudong, and Albadia Golf Club in Dubai. She has won numerous awards and distinctions for her work as a visual artist and designer, including the Pia Page Prize and repeated recognition from the Canada Arts Council. I am so excited to have Pascal with us today. Her superpower is using ceramic to create poetic spaces with the expression of pure form and her original philosophical thinking. Hi, Pascal. Good morning and welcome to the Red Angle Podcast. Hi, good morning to you. <laughs> you know, I've always loved your ceramic work and I was so happy that I got to work with you on the hotel project last year and have this opportunity to have a conversation with you outside work and to get to know you better. So to kick off our episode, I always ask my guests this big question to begin with. So could you tell us a little more about your artistic philosophy? Uh, I think most of the things that I think about when I'm... Um, appreciating art or making art is um, it's handmade. I mean, I think when I'm working, when I'm working with clay, for example, um, there is some philosophy inherent to the practice. So, you know, rather than just say my artistic, you know, that just the whole overarching word art is, uh, is a bit much for me, I think. But if I break it down into um, the notion of what I'm doing as a practice in my own practice. Um, it has a lot to do with working with purpose. And uh, then I'm thinking in French for the, for the word is économie du geste. So économie du geste is the economy of the gesture. So that literally, but what it actually means is that you only apply what you need to apply to the work and no, no, no more. And uh, to do that, it takes a lot of experience doing things and, and doing a lot of things in order to understand that you don't need to uh, do that much. And this will show, especially in clay, ceramics is a material that's very responsive to the touch. And uh, so if you go about it in a sort of haphazard way or you come, you, you go back and forth on a piece, it starts to look distressed. 
it doesn't have the feeling of something that has been handled properly. And so that proper handling comes with that knowledge of, uh, of um, how things can become if you, you know, overdo it. So you start thinking about how you're going to, going to do things. So it's this whole mental process that you work with before you actually touch the clay. And um, I just kind of liken it to, uh, you know, I've heard, let's say, athletes talk about, you know, in their mind, like how they're going to do their run or I don't know, whatever, their gym, gymnastic routine or something. Yeah, like if you go there in your mind, you go there physically. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's the same thing. So so back to my philosophy of, of uh, let's say, my practice. Um, it really has a lot to do with that. It's just really preparing yourself in your mind uh, before actually doing something. And so there's all of this has to do with the response that the clay is going to give you back. So there's this relationship that's established right away between the medium, the material, and yourself. So it's all one. Yeah, I love that working with purpose is where your creative philosophy is coming from. And to be able to do that, it seems like it takes years of practice, right? And, you know, your Instagram is actually absolutely one of my favorite accounts. And you have this permanent stories up there are just really inspiring. One of my favorite is the one called Philosophy. And I really want to go through each one of them with you and maybe have you help us understand how you apply each philosophy to your work. The first one is creation is alliance between attention to detail and the carefree imagination. Um, yeah, so I think the beauty of working in ceramics, um, <clears throat> like I was saying, is that responsiveness to the material. And so you do really have to be paying attention to the minute little details. But if you get caught up in that too much, you're going to, what I say, kill the clay. Like it's just, you're going to, like there will be no life left in it if you don't let it breathe and uh, let it do its thing. So yes, you're, you know, want, you want to make sure that every little detail is there, but you also want to let it be itself. And so there's that carefree, um, is there's like this element of letting go and uh, trusting that um, whatever you didn't put into it um, is perfect, <laughs> you know, so it's not just all about you. And so, yeah, there's this balance, you know. Mm -hmm. Is it hard uh, for you to do that as a ceramic artist throughout your career or that's something you know right away? I think it's a process. So I think I always uh, wanted, I, I strived for that, that to be, you know, more spontaneous in my work. And, <clears throat> but it's such a craft that uh, is demanding that um, spontaneous is fun if you're doing one or two pieces, but if you're doing a project and you know you need to get there, uh, you have to plan ahead and you have to be organized. And uh, so um, I think that, finding that balance really only comes through practice. So the more you do it, the more you become, um, you know, you achieve a certain mastery of the material, but also of yourself. You start learning where to, um, I would say, not, it's not self-control, but it's actually the other, it's the opposite. It's like letting go. And also trusting that what you do is going to be the right thing. 
and uh, so that's uh, that's a lifelong discipline. I'm still I'm still at it right now. <laughs> I'm still learning. Yeah, for sure.、Um, and the second one you said is wildlife houses paradoxes. Art reveals their harmony. So, what do you mean by that? Okay, again, it's the same. It's always the same thing. As you can tell, there's like a, a few things that uh, are um, um,、uh, that come back in these kinds of philosophies is the contradiction, and、uh, or apparent contradiction. But really, in reality, it's holistic. So there's this holistic approach about.、Um, uh, Yeah, life's paradoxes. So, if I go back to,、um, I mean, not even. I mean, I'm talking about ceramics, but I could talk about, I don't know, a cabinet maker working with wood,、um, or you know, someone who has an intent, like an an architect who wants to, you know, make this fabulous building. I mean, there are so many elements that are going to come into、um, into play that are going to be.、Um, Contradicting your intent, or you know, or contrarian, maybe there'll just be these contrarian moments, and、uh, you have to start working with those. And、uh, so, if I you know go back to clay,、uh, ceramics has so many things that can go wrong with it, and I say wrong with air quotes because sometimes the wrong is actually quite lovely, and that's where the art comes in. So、um, you know, perhaps I just you know I'm aiming for a certain color in a glaze, and it's always working for me. And then on the fiftieth, you know,、um, kiln unloading, the color just suddenly changes. And then I spend two months working tirelessly trying to redo the recipes, calling a chemist, try to see what the ingredients went wrong, and、um, changing. All my methods, and I still, you know, this actually has happened to me, but you know, and I still don't know what happened. And having to let go of that, and then looking at what the res- actual results were, rather than what I was imagining that I wanted, and thinking, wait a minute, this color is actually really beautiful. This is a gift. <laughs> so you know that that's the you know life's paradox, right? It's、um, I want to be this and I want to do that, and、uh, life's giving you something completely different. And if you don't change your mindset,、uh, there's really nothing you can do because the results are the results. And so that's when you know、uh, if you can change that your way of thinking or seeing things, then you're actually seeing art, and art is manifesting itself right there in front of you. Oh, that's beautiful, and I think that's really tied to what's your third philosophy, which you said art is a matter of the mind. And the fourth one, I find it very interesting. And you talk about like human commitment is the most beautiful of raw materials. Yes, that's so true. I think <laughs> I think that、um, human commitment is、um, is you know it's just that beautiful earnestness of wanting to do something, whatever it is. And uh, sometimes um, we think it's so easy for people to. To to do what they're doing, or you know, I'm sure like you hear that, you know, oh, lucky that person, look at their lives or what they've done, and and 
for sure there's you know elements that we don't control but commitment is something that we can really give uh, give ourselves to you know get um, allow ourselves to go fully into uh, what we want and what we believe in and so commitment to me also entails a lot of time and a, a lot of um, repetition and, and going at it over and over and over again and just you know trusting the process and so that's kind of what what i feel is is really critical to any kind of creative process is just to you are the process you are part of that that you know critical element and component because everything else that's around you is not going to move if you're not moving with it and doing it over and over again yeah, that's so true. And the last one is from lightness comes strength. I actually have a personal interpretation of this one from, you know, my experiences of working with you. I think a lot of your work is very delicate just because the nature of ceramic, right? But in the end, your work always leaves a big visual or emotional impact. Is that maybe one way to interpret it or there is something else? Yeah, well, no, that's uh, that's interesting because I hadn't thought about it the way that you're saying it, but I find it applies so much to uh, <clears throat> so many things. I think for me, uh, lightness is um, close to you know an element of vulnerability. Of um, lightness is a light touch, for example. Uh, Again, if I touch clay, you know, I like to keep, sometimes you have to have a firm touch on your clay, but sometimes you really need to have a lightness to it. Um, it's also, if you think of the lightness of the gaze, when you look at something lightly, and I don't know if that sounds maybe a little bit strange, but if I look at a butterfly wing or leaves ruffling in, um, in you know, on a tree in the wind, there's this lightness um, that that is involved in that, and the lightness of spirit as well, and being able to see things as they're manifesting themselves, and without forcefully uh, pushing your perspective on things. I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all. It does. I think it also tied back to what you said earlier about be able to let go and control the fact that you don't want to put too much control on yourself or forcing something to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and also if I go back to like a larger compositions, for example, where I've done some suspended pieces with um, uh, <clears throat> flower petals and leaves and everything is, seems like it's sort of like uh, floating in the air. So there is a lightness in that. But I think the statement is strong. You know, there's a strength in the statement. And it's one not of strength as like, you know, that powerful strength, but more as in something substantial and uh, that moves us. And sometimes something as delicate as a flower petal can move us so like, as as much as uh, you know the Grand Canyon or something very you know strong in terms of the impact of it, so you know I, I think there's that uh, there's lightness of spirit as well you know which can really help you move through things if you have a light spirit you know if you have a light touch so that's kind of where I, I feel lightness um, 
you know, that, that notion of light, lightness. Yeah. So I know you've been working with ceramic for almost, I guess, 25 years now. And so how long did it took you to sort of like start forming this kind of view? I'm, 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 I'm sure it's like an ongoing process, but at, there's one point or some about like 10 or five years, you like sort of like starting to realize, okay, this is how things work. And this is how I see things. Yeah, I think probably around the fifth year, the first five years, I think I was applying what I was, I had learned and what I was learning. So a lot of it was applying, um, you know, trying to stick to the rules, <laughs> trying to be a, a good potter, uh, you know, and, um, and not understanding when things didn't go right. So trying to fix that, you know, so I was doing a lot of like, fixing and and you know it was a little bit more rigorous and a little bit stiffer in a sense and at the same time aesthetically i liked things that were loose and uh, expressive and not controlled so it that was a big paradox for me that <clears throat> the first five years you know i think that was i mean the paradox is still within me but it's just that it was very uh, evident at that at that time so I think there, you know, I'm sure there were some breaking points. I mean, I know there have been because I still go through them. You know, these little things that chip away at your, at your, you know, that yourself, you know, that, that make you, remind you gently or not so gently that uh, things are not going to go the way you thought they were going to go, especially, you know, in this practice. But um, I think that probably that was one of the biggest, big things. Um, I think another element um, is that I'm actually a really impatient person. Really? And, uh, yeah. Now you choose ceramic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if ceramic chose me. Uh, <laughs> I often say that ceramic is my teacher, right? <laughs> so, and uh, this is what I love the most about, about uh, my practice, right? It's just, uh, um, you know, it's confronting my impatience on a daily basis and uh, becoming a much better person. <laughs> and I, I, thank, I thank Clay every day um, for, for, you know, helping me uh, uh, become more patient and uh, become more philosophical about life. So yes, these philosophies, um, they, they definitely came to me through each, uh, each unload, each reveal of a, a crack or a split or a glaze going bad or, you know, firing just completely uh, messed up or me being forgetful or, or trying to rush things or, you know, all of these things. It's just such a great mirror of, uh, of who you are. And, um, you know, I think, I think anybody who wants to practice that, uh, is very brave. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have to have a little bit of that in, inside of you or be completely relaxed and loose and, you know, like carefree, which, uh, is uh, or if if you keep at it, you will become relaxed and carefree. <laughs> or anyway, that's what happened to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's such a great way to think about the work you do. You know, as the nature of your practice, you really find clay to become this amazing art pieces. But at the same time, by working with clay, it also shapes you to be more patient and gives you an opportunity to understand yourself through the process. So you know, we talked a little bit about your creative philosophies. And another thing I'm really curious is your design process. And I'm sure every project's different, but overall, how's the process like for you? Um, I think. Well, I think the first thing that I would say about the design process when I'm working um, with、uh, design firms is intuition. It just really goes for like some element that that、uh, the designer. Maybe it's a word that they that a designer says, or or it's in the mood board or the presentation document. There might be a color or something that just captures my attention. Suddenly, I'm making connections. I'm just, you know, it just happens really quickly. I start making connections.、Um, it can be historical, I,、um, historical, geographical,、um, anthropological. Yeah, they just come, start popping up, and then nature and elements that can reveal something. And so, of course, you know, sometimes I don't have the full story. So, you know, I just. Put that intuition aside because it's not just intuition. You can't work with just with intuition; it wouldn't make any sense because you're working with other people and you need to be attentive and、um, and and listen and and take in as much as you can. So, you know, the second round, I start in my head. You know, these rounds in my head that are going on as I'm cycling through and listening to、uh, what the project is about is.、Um, Will be,、uh, you know, to ask more questions or maybe,、um, you know, point to something that's attracting my attention and and asking questions about that. I'm intrigued about a color or、um, the theme is water. Okay, what is it about the water? Is it the moving? Is it the calming? You know, things. You know, and the, and all of these will feed my imagination and start feeding、uh, the relationships that I can build、uh, with the project. So. I think after intuition, it's relations, relationships, and relations to relations to the client, to the project, to the the, the designer. To、um, I like to build those, and、uh, my work I find is highly relational. It's、uh, there's a strong,、uh, I have a strong attraction to being able to relate to others. And、uh, through my work, and and so I think that's part of the success of it in terms of public art,、um, is I feel that、uh, people have told me many times that it, it does、uh, bring an emotion, all sorts of emotions. You know, different people have different ways of perceiving, but that there's always some element of、um, You know, being moved,、uh, a sense of wonder, sometimes a sense of calm.、Um, you know, these things are are really、uh, those are kind of beyond my control. I I suppose I don't have any control over people's feelings about things. Thank God.、Um, <laughs> and but I think also if I bring it back to clay, you know, working with your hands and working with a material that is so responsive. Uh, you know, I tend for for me、uh, the way I work with it is I build a relationship with it. So each thing that I do to the clay,、um, 
has to be gentle in a sense and respectful of its of its essence and and what it can do and also the openness to what it can what emerges from something that is beyond you know what my intention was so even there like on the micro or in my studio is very much about relationships so this is relationship to clay but it's also to my staff and uh, you know teaching them how to have the same touch that i have with clay so that that will impact the way the piece looks, but also how it feels. There's a lot of it as to how it feels. And then back to working with, uh, you know, on a, on a project with a design team, it's also my relationship to the people that are there. So there's a lot of relationship building. So I would say that that's, you know, the critical element or the crucial element of the, the project, so. You talk a little about like public art because that's sort of like a major part of what you do. Do you find that less about self-expression compared to, I guess, personal art? And do you care about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a strong question. Do I care? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I care because if I say I don't care, that sounds really obnoxious. And so, uh, and because I do, I do care. Um, I think I care, but not in the sense of whether it's public or, or more personal. I mean, all the work that I do is personal. Um, I think that for sure, sometimes, you know, I, uh, whimsical work that I feel that is coming out of like, a, I just, uh, oh, I feel like doing this today, some sculpture. Um, maybe it has, um, has a, an element that I don't know where it's going to go yet. You know, I don't know who's going to appreciate it, but you know, I, I trust that it will speak to someone at some point. If it speaks to me, you know, must speak to at least one other person on this planet. <laughs> so that's all good for me. Um, I think for the, you know, public works. And when I say public art, I mean, I'm also, of course, speaking about artwork that's in restaurants and hotels and, you know, not just the uh, public art as in, uh, in the city or, but I think for those projects, um, I think they're more of a reflection of a community and uh, the community that's in my studio, my staff, the community that is a, um, a design studio, the community of the larger public and people who will be engaging with the work. Um, you know, that becomes more my relationship to the world, the outside world in a larger, more meta sort of way. Uh, it still is. Um, you know, very much about what I do. Um, I think for the more, let's say, personal works that I'm doing, then I think more the dialogue is a little bit more intimate. It's really um, closing back into um, a quiet space between me and Clay and uh, expressing those elements. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the two relate to each other and, and they balance each other out too. Um, I think in the, what I would like perhaps is sometimes that uh, where it's a little bit more difficult with public art is that there are so many people involved and you do have to maybe sometimes um, put aside some of the things that you're just really stuck stuck on, you know, and say, no, this is not going to happen because whatever, whatever reality, you know, is coming in. But then, you know, it's the same with clay, you know, so it's just, it applies on a larger scale. And, and like I said, I've, 
I've developed patience with uh, with this, and I've developed also uh, more uh, a carefree uh, attitude about letting go about certain things and just moving on. You know, that's actually a really good perspective. Sometimes something might not happen in terms of like the project was. It's like sometimes it doesn't happen with click. Yeah. You know, I actually took a ceramic class before. Nothing compared to what you're doing, for sure. It's it's very very com- complicated、uh, than at least what I thought it would be. Is a lot more, as you said, it require a lot of patience. So, how many rounds do you normally go through when you、uh, work on the project? Like, could you explain the process of like this making for us a little more? Sure.、Um- You know, there's even a semi-mathematical equation that I've applied to this.、Um, I think, you know, if I'm doing a large piece that requires,、um, I don't know,、uh, five thousand pieces、uh, of something, you know, or, or you know, variants of something,、um, then you know, and the piece is organic, then I know that I maybe the, what I need to add, like. Make of extra, you know, just in case something goes wrong, the percentage of it will be very small, maybe five percent. But let's say if I and this just、uh, recently, I, I、uh, produced these beautiful、uh, uh, planters for a private home, and I had two planters that I needed to make.、Uh, they were quite large, and、um, so in order to do those two planters, I needed to do four. So. Then that's two hundred percent, right? Because because first of all, the pieces are very big.、Um, if I if something goes wrong in the firing or if the glaze application、uh, doesn't work,、uh, and especially this one had cobalt、uh, paint strokes, but on a like creamy white background. So if I don't do this right, that one single time, I can't wash it off. It's going to stain, and it stains the clay body, and it's completely messed up. So、uh, yeah, you know, you just have that one chance. So like the piece takes,、uh, it took、uh, two weeks to dry.、Uh, so you know, like、uh, it takes four, four days to build, two weeks to dry. And then it's a 18-hour firing cycle for the bisque because it's very thick bod clay body. Then I have to glaze it. That's a day.、Uh, you know, I'm mean, not a day, but it takes you know whatever half a day to do the glazing inside and out, and then firing it. That's another 12-hour cycle. Now, when it comes out of the kiln, that's the verdict: is it good or it's bad? So, oh my god! And you have to start over if it's not good. Well, that's right. So if you have to start over, you you try to think. Well, that client's not going to be very patient with you if you haven't planned ahead, and that you have a spare piece just in case, right? So that's why when you when the the order comes in, you don't make two, you make four, you know, <laughs> just in case. And then of course, you know, if everything goes well, you have these extra beautiful planters that are that go into your portfolio. Portfolio, and you can you can actually you know、um, put them on the website and、uh, move move along. <laughs> But、uh, so so you know that's it. That's the quote unquote worst case scenario. You know it's it's that all of that goes wrong, and then you you think, wow, I did four, and I still had to do more. And then you have to explain to the client the process 
and if, and you hope that it doesn't sound like you're making excuses for yourself and that you're actually really earnestly doing your job you know so um, I try now to steer away from having very specific orders and and so I try to plan ahead what the big pieces is I make them and photograph them and say this is what what we have in stock you know um, I mean, unless there was an order where I needed to do 20 or 30, then I know that with time, they'll just become more and more successful. So again, if I'm doing a piece um, that's um, a mural that has, uh, you know, 1500 tiles on them or ceramic elements that are, you know, um, all unique and different, um, maybe the first two firings uh, of you know a hundred pieces will not be uh, what I want as I'm tweaking and working on it and uh, then I start producing and then we're on a roll and in the end you know maybe I will have made 200 extra on 1500 that's a small percentage right of extra that has to be made so so but, to, you know, yeah, so the ceramic process on the big pots, it takes a long time. On the smaller elements, things can dry and be in the kiln the next day. And uh, so that that's a completely different way of working through the material. And, it, of course, it depends on the shape. It depends if there's a joinery. It depends. So th yeah, it's a, it's a never-ending uh, <laughs> process. Don't give up. Don't give up. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I originally thought about ceramic, I tend to think about them as individual objects. But like a lot of your work are large-scale installation art. Um, how do you come to have a sense of space? Yeah. Um, again, I think that's with time. You know, you just sort of get used to, um, uh, you know, imagining spaces. So... Uh, I think also I'm like a very physical person. So I, I imagine space, I need to sort of feel the space. Um, so uh, if I can't, uh, let's say I have a quite a big studio, so I can imagine like half of my studio space is 30 feet long. You know, my, my studio space has 60 feet. So if I can look at it and go, okay, the project fills this area, you know, so I, I'm actually looking at a very tangible um environment you know uh, height wise is the same my ceilings are 14 feet so you know if something's 28 then I know it's twice my ceiling height so but I actually look up at the sky you know I look up at my ceiling and I go okay it's going to look like this and <laughs> so and if it's something that's very very big which I've done a few things so then I'll actually take whatever's around me I've always got some some I don't know an eraser a pencil uh, you know a, a teacup and I'll just put the teacup and say, okay, let's say the teacup is uh, the building, you know, then my eraser is the car, you know? <laughs> so I just, I really like my 3D is a very tangible physical world. So I, 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 I have, um, I mean, I've learned to uh, appreciate and, and understand space in a 2D, um, you know, on drawings, of course, because I need to work with plans and elevations. That would just be terrible if I couldn't do that. But um, the first times that I received plans and elevations, it was really, really hard for me to sort of, you know, put all of that together and, and understand uh, and understand the space. But with time, you know, of course, I got used to it. 
but but I prefer to uh, once I look at the plan and I look at the the measurements and the scale, then I then I, I immediately um, project myself into a physical space. So that might be a miniature, um, you know, maquette that I'm working with, or you know, uh, and like I said, I'll use anything. I like literally use anything and. My, my staff thinks it's very funny, you know, because I'll just uh, grab, uh, I don't know, it's things that are laying around that, that are, you know, a plastic toy I picked up when I was in China. And I'll like, you know, just grab that and go, okay, I think it's about this high. You know, they're like, what are you looking at? I'm like, the space, the, the height, the, the dimensions. <laughs> yeah, so trying to figure out my, my proportions that way. Yeah, for sure. When it comes to sense of scale, any visual reference is always helpful, right? And I think ceramic is such a unique and specific part of art. So I do want to know how did you get into the field? Or as you said it before, how did ceramic chose you? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's both. Um, I have uh, like my background was uh, when I went to... Um, university actually was uh, going into science and I started in biology and uh, so I had this uh, kind of a scientific side to me but I also always drew and painted and I you know I was doing a lot of art at home just naturally and and uh, also I did a lot of sports and I was on uh, the, the university badminton team and uh so <laughs> you know just like all these things put together um and and when i was in biology uh you know you had to in those days you had to draw uh, the little cells uh you know that you saw in the microscope and you had to do all your you know and and my colleagues would tell me what are you doing in biology you draw so well you should be in art school and i was like nah that's just for people that are i don't know what they are this is kind of like a species of animal that i didn't understand at all and um you know i just thought they you know like i didn't have that artistic whatever it was that i was imagining an artist was all about but um, within a year, I had three people come up to me and tell me the same thing. And at some point, I thought, okay, this is really weird. But it was also uh, during exam time, and it was uh, it was my first um, uh, neuro uh, uh, neuro. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a, a thing on neurology. And, and uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm hating this. Why am I studying this? And so I, uh, I dropped out and uh, went into arts, applied for art school. And uh, when I got there, uh, it, I saw the ceramic department and I thought, oh, wow, that looks like fun because then I can use my hands. And, you know, I, could, I just felt like it was more like concrete, but also I thought, oh, you could do something practical like a, a cup or a plate, you know, like I was still had this very science background thing. Uh, but believe it or not, I, I applied three years in a row, never got into the ceramics uh, class. So I ended up doing a lot of painting and drawing and ended up enjoying it quite a bit. Um, I finished uh, school and, um, and, you know, never got to do ceramics. And so about eight years later, um, I, was, um, I was still painting. And a friend of mine said, hey, there's this... Uh, class there or course it's a crash course it's 12 months um full-time uh ceramic course and it's like a trade school and uh they were they were um you know giving this um, near uh, my place in montreal and i thought 
Wow, that sounds like so much fun. And my son at that point was two years old and I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, just, you know, 32 years old, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life as an artist, you know, I mean, you know, I was painting and, and doing shows and stuff, but I just felt like it was a little bit, you know, um, uncertain. So I applied and uh, got in and uh, it was a very pragmatic course and suddenly the the all the pieces of the puzzle seem to have come together it, the science you know they or you know doing um, understanding how clay process of clay how it, the shrinkage and percentage and you know i love math so it's like glaze calculation and you know the chemistry that there was like oh my god this is so fun and then the physical part you know like i said i did a lot of sports and so this um the discipline and the routine of repeating the same gestures over and over until you get better at it i mean that's like you know total badminton training you know same thing so i just felt like it just reapplied but in the shape of this and you know my creative side which you know clearly i had been uh, um ignoring or you know thinking that there was no reason why i should be doing that um you know i was just much more of a reasonable person when i was younger so you know contrary to a lot of teenagers i just wanted to be just what a straight a student you know just follow the rules <laughs> So, you know, suddenly all of this seemed to make sense. Yeah, so it, it's kind of like I found the place and a, a, I found this material and a practice that could bring out the best of me and all of these elements that seem so contradictory. You know, so a lot of people think an artist is someone who's super flaky, who's uh, disorganized, uh, who does, you know, whimsical and you know, doesn't really think about anything else but whatever it is that's in their mind. and. And, you know, so I, that's why I always, I never felt so, so attached to that, that image of the artist. And, um, and so, yeah, there was that and, you know, all of these elements still, so, yeah, that's how it kind of came together. And, uh, and then I just started doing a lot of uh, tableware. So that was my first five years were, were, you know, dishware, tableware and uh, learning, learning the crafts and, and, but then I wanted bigger bigger things you know I wanted to do murals and, and bigger projects and that's kind of like you know yeah it's fascinating that you tried many many other things before you had your career set on ceramic and even though you had a relatively late start you have established a successful ceramic practice and continue to do great work so how did you do that? You know, establish a successful business based on your creative skill. I think that's something a lot of artists are struggling to do. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think that just comes down to, you know, I guess personality. You know, I, nothing that I have much control over that, but I have, uh, <laughs> I do have, um, uh, you know, a lot of energy. So I'm able to, uh, you know, harness that energy to be able to, do those do these two things because they are very distinct you know running a business and being creative and you know being an artist or doing artwork uh, however being creative really helps to run a business and uh, from knowing uh, and meeting people who are business people you know pure 100 percent business people they're super creative people i mean they're just really putting you know they're, they're finding links between things that, you know, other people are not seeing, you know, so they're like, like, uh, their brains always on, uh, 
you know, 100%, just looking at opportunities and things, you know, how things can, can work together and how you can create uh, new uh, ventures or things like that. So, you know, like I can see that element of creativity in business. And so I don't feel that the two are different one from the other. I think the business part, um, I mean, I did have to learn, you know, I learned, um, I, I took business classes when I started because I, I really wanted to, well, first of all, I was applying for uh, loans at the bank, so I needed to come up with a, <laughs> a document of some sort, right, <laughs> to like buy my kiln and, you know, like set up my, my studio and things like that. So um, I was, and, you know, because I had a, a university uh my first years of university and you know biology i wasn't afraid of working and you know taking out the excel spreadsheet and, you know geeking out on that so i kind of looked at it as a project you know like some kind of fun fun project you know fill in the blanks you know there's all these questions you had to <laughs> answer so i mean when i started i was uh, you know i probably had way too many pages <laughs> on that business plan just because i i was very passionate about it so, um, you know, so that, that's like, you know, the, the beginning. And then with time, you know, things start getting into place and, and you start realizing that, um, that uh, it's, going, it, it's a big challenge is to balance the two uh, in terms of your time and your energy. And uh, so there are some moments where I feel that it's more business and less art. And other moments, it's like all art and hardly business. And so I have to be careful <laughs> when I get into that zone because, you know, you do have to, uh, you do have to sort of keep, keep the two uh, hand in hand. And I, I liken it a lot to people who are in um, uh, uh, businesses like um, winemaking or um, so, you know, I don't know, honey farming, you know, honeybee or whatnot, you know, it's like you have to take care of something, something that's there that you really need to like give your, your, yourself to. But, you know, it's, it's like being a parent, you know, I mean, you have to do a budget. You can't just say, oh, I'll feed the kid and somehow food will fall on the table. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't mean that you're just all business and just, you know, cashing in and not taking care of that you know, beautiful child. So, you know, it's just, the, the, life is like that. I mean, it's not that different from anything else. It's just that I realized early on that if I wanted to um, go where I wanted to go, which was to, you know, make, make artwork and, and, uh, you know, make large scale, big, beautiful things and also work with fabulous design firms, you know, the best of the best, um, I, I needed to, you know, organize those two things and keep them very much uh, together at all times. So balancing it is, it is a balancing act. And, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that I love math. Um, I really do. I just think like, I love math. I love numbers. It's fun. You know, like to me, they're like, they're like, I don't know, they're like building blocks, like Lego blocks or, you know, things that you can play around with. Um, but yeah, you know, just uh, kind of balancing all of that to make sure that, uh, the two are, are well, well taken care of. That's very cool. Um, uh, aside from having a very successful art studio, you are also an educator and what's your approach for sort of like educating the next generation of ceramic artists or artists in general? 
Well, uh, the class I'm giving right now, it's quite interesting. I'm teaching at Concordia University uh, in Montreal and uh, it's on Zoom, which is really uh, quite, uh, uh, quite strange because you know, you're teaching them how to hand build and you're not in the same room as them. Uh, so, you know, of course I have to prepare some demos and I actually do live demos, but um, still, uh, the way that I've uh, worked the class, and this is something that I taught before also at uh, uh, UQAM, which is another university in Montreal. And the themes that I like to work the most on is process. So, so the class uh, is organized around um, developing tools for self-reflection as they're making art. So the process of making art or art in the making is more, uh, is predominant in the course uh, rather than the outcome. The, out, the outcome is seen as a stepping stone in a continuum of art making because art making is a continuum. Um, so when you're looking at a sculpture or work of art, uh, it's, it doesn't stand alone. It's part of a story. It's a much longer story. And it's one that if you're an artist or, you know, you're really involved in the creative practice, um, you know, you hope you'll be doing for the rest of your life. So um, hanging on to that one piece or evaluating a student or an artist on one single art piece is so unfair. It's, it's, and, it, and it makes no sense at all. It's only a reflection of what's going on in that particular moment. So I find much uh, more interesting to talk about the actual process and, uh, and how, you know, what are you thinking about? So what is the context in which you're art making? What are the materials materials you're using what are your challenges as you're working through the material uh, how did you resolve those challenges and uh, so when we do end up making a project uh, they've already been working 60 percent of the work has been on um, you know writing uh, taking photographs um, documenting their process so that's a really big chunk of the the teaching and for them is the their work so when we get to presentations um they're required to uh, f fill in a sort of a q a, a question a questionnaire which are you know uh, what was the what was your in original intention how did it change during your process what were your challenges how did you overcome them um now that you know that talk about what this looks like you know, from these questions, you know, and then the last question is, if you were to start over again, what would you do differently? Or, you know, what would, you know, would you pursue this, uh, this project? And so it's much, it's a richer, deeper, and more meaningful way of approaching art making and ceramic making. And because ceramic is so process intensive, that is the perfect way to teach. And so it, it relieves the student of the pressure of a successful piece. 
you know, they, they're, they're not thinking of it. Oh, my, my work exploded. Well, no one's work is exploding in the kiln. I mean, although it can happen, they're all afraid of that, right? Because we tell them you have to make a holes for art to like steam to evaporate. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, you know, something just turns out, you know, the glaze is not what they wanted or, you know, the, whatever it is. Or, you know, the piece cracked in the middle of uh, production and then they weren't able to like assemble it again. Well, I mean, that's all super interesting, you know, and this is, there's great value in that. So I'm teaching them about the value of being present in real time with their work all the time and uh, so that's what the class is about so uh, so it, they're more relaxed you know they're more uh, invested and uh, yeah more relaxed and less stressed about their presentations because then they can actually laugh about it if something didn't work well but they're also they speak about their work in a much more educated and intelligent manner manner are intelligible you know we understand each other and then then the sharing is is um there's a wealth of sharing going on about you know challenges and you know other people that are you know listening in or you know say oh yeah that happened to me or you know so the exchange becomes much more lifelike much more humane and uh especially right now during covid uh this this is actually and you know teaching on zoom is actually a really um, this this class or this this course that uh, I was teaching before even makes more sense now you know so so that, you know because they are alone in their room some of them are working on their bed you know that that's the only space they have in the house so that you know I'm like well just pay, put a piece of plastic and hopefully get something hard that like a you know a board or you know a hard book or something that you can you know uh, like we're trying to figure out these ways of working and so right now the the course also this is on context so i speak to them about you know art making is always contextual it always is 100 percent. i mean you know if i think of uh, an artist like jeff coons who's working in a hangar with like 30 student uh, students 30 assistants and you know he can you know make something that's as big as uh, as an airplane well, that's because of the context in which he is, you know, if you're working, I mean, I think of Frida Kahlo, who was in her, her bed for six months in a brace, um, you know, in a cast, she painted in her bed, you know, and the artwork, you know, was definitely a different scale and size. And, you know, the, the art making was quite different. So you know, just thinking about context and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's important. And it's also celebrating context rather than saying, oh, my God, this is horrible. And, you know, I'm in my room. And, you know, it's just saying, well, what can you do in your room? Like, you know, your room is actually a really great, uh, generates a lot of ideas and a lot of creativity. So, you know, kind of, um, you know, develops this, this, uh, this way of thinking. Yeah, for sure. And that is such a great way to teach, in my opinion, because for any creative practice, it could be ceramic, interior design or painting, the process and intention is so important. And for students who are still in school, right, understanding how to think and how to work is much more precious than having a pretty project. And, you know, as we wrap up, I have one last question that I always ask my guests in the end. So in retrospect, were there moments or factors that helped you to be where you are right now that is purely due to luck? Yeah, uh, luck, I mean, there are so many 
moments in our lives where there's there's great things, there's great opportunities, and being open to those opportunities is really um, a discipline. It's like a disciplining your mind to look at things in a different light. And that's how I look at luck. Luck is, um, you know, there, it can be, uh, I don't know, there are serendipitous moments where you're thinking, you know, oh my God, like how am I going to pay my rent? I mean, I, I can think of those moments, you know, thinking of moments like that. And then suddenly this contract that you were waiting for that never came up and suddenly eight months later, here it is at that exact moment where you need to go to the bank and explain yourself with your new business plan. Um, but I think that, um, I think that, you know, there, there are moments like that that I've had, you know, that I think, wow, that's incredible. I can't believe this is happening to me. This is wonderful. Uh, but I also know that there are elements of that that have to do with your mindset. Um, that if you're looking at something and thinking this is not going to happen for me, uh, I, you know, this is really challenging and difficult. And then uh, maybe there are some uh, breaches in your system or your system of thinking that you're not looking at. And if you don't look at that little, you know, crack in the ceiling or, you know, as uh, Leonard Cohen or famous Canadian poet says, you know, that's where the light comes in. Um, <laughs> that, you know, there's definitely, uh, um, there's definitely that, that way of thinking. So, you know, just to say about luck, I mean, there's one thing that some people have told me sometimes, oh, yeah, but you're lucky because this, that, that. And I like to correct that in, in one way is to say that where I feel that I have the most luck is just the things I have zero control over. One of them is, um, you know, being born able-bodied, um, you know, in Canada, in, um, you know, a, a good environment where, you know, economy and politics are relatively stable. Um, that's luck. I mean, that's like pure luck. And, you know, that I love math. I mean, I don't know why I love math. You know, it's just the way my brain is, right? That's also just, you know, like uh, luck and energy and health. I mean, I have a lot of energy. It's ridiculous the amount of energy that I have. You know, like sometimes I, I, I you know, my my staff are, you know, 30 years younger than me and sometimes they're exhausted and they're like, I'm still running, you know? And I'm like, what? What's going on? You know, what? It's 7 p.m. and you, <laughs> you need a break? Okay. Oh, sorry. I forgot about that, you know, but that's luck as well, right? It's, uh, this is nothing that, uh, I mean, I take care of it. Of course, I, I, I make sure that I don't, uh, because I have a lot of energy, sometimes I forget, you know, and I, and I push myself a little too far. But, you know, so those are the things I have to take care of. Those are the things I have to be mindful of. But I am very mindful of the fact that I, I have energy, that I'm able-bodied, that I'm living in Canada, that I have, uh, you know, an, a beautiful, healthy environment in front of me, that I have you know, health and, and, um, you know, that is pure luck. And that's where I feel luck is, is that's, that's luck. The rest, everything else that will happen, those are opportunities. I see them more as opportunities. And so, you know, something shitty happens. It's like, that's an opportunity to grow or think, uh, something wonderful happens. That's an opportunity to grab it. And, you know, sometimes you're just not looking, you're looking left instead of looking right. And then suddenly, yeah, you see, Oh my God, this is a, such a better, it was a, you know, there's a better place here or, you know, whatever. So 
And that's training. I, I don't always see those opportunities. I'm like everybody else, you know, sometimes I just, you know, want to curl up in a ball and cry and think like my life is terrible and, you know, <laughs> and allowing yourself those moments and then, uh, you know, going, wait a minute, reframe, reframe, you know, but yeah, that's what I have to say about luck. <laughs> Yeah, I really love what you said about luck, and I think that was the perfect way to finishing up our conversation today before we go to the quick question section. You know, I always interested in what other creatives love or obsessed with. So five short questions in the end. The first one is, who are your favorite artists lately? Mm. Oh my god, there's so many. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely Louise Nevelson, love her work. Um, there's uh, this other artist that I can think of right now that I also really like a lot. It's uh, Jenny C. Jones. She's an artist who works, she's very conceptually based. And so her artwork is, uh, you know, quite, you know, diametrically different from my work, you know, in terms of uh, she paints, um, she works with acoustic paneling. Um, it's very, ab like, almost abstract. Uh, you know, there's a very, um, her, the signals that she sends are very subtle, you know, and uh, so she has been working with um, some of the themes that she's been working with are the, um, are, for example, on uh, music, jazz particularly, and contemporary jazz specifically. And um, the absence of uh, black contemporary jazz music and musicians within academia. That's one of the themes that she's addressed, which is really shocking because the music has its origins in African-American uh, blues. And so, um, you know, how it's been co-opted in a sense by academia and then jazz, like contemporary jazz has become this white thing, you know, this, uh, you know, white music, right? And, uh, and so, you know, but she does in such a, a, a there's such finesse and such thoughtfulness in her work. And I just absolutely love her work. And I, I first uh, saw her work in Houston at uh, Contemporary, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art there. I just stumbled upon it. I was uh, just uh, on an install and decided to go there um, and visit uh, the show. And I just fell in love with everything that she uh, does. Like, you know, she's really interested in music and I'm a big jazz uh, fan. So this was really, really moving and interesting for me. And that was a couple of years back, I think about three years ago. So she's one of my, you know, uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of her work. Um, but I do love, um, yeah, like Louise Nevelson, just because, you know, she's just the, the color schemes and just the fact that she would use like, you know, plywood and whatever was at hand and spray cans and, you know, just working with things, but just to make these beautiful monumental pieces. Um, I love the, also another group of artists, the BGL, uh, they're Canadian, they're a group, so it's three, three guys, um, um, and they do very fun, uh, very caustic, um, and um, in, in like 
um, artwork. I mean, caustic maybe, yeah, sometimes it's just like underlying causticity. <laughs> they're, you know, they do, they put a lot of humor into their work, but it's very political and uh, they do a lot of satire of, um, of you know, the state of the, the world and uh, they're incredible artists. They represented Canada for the Vienna Biennial two years, uh, well, four years ago now. And, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, big, big installation. But, um, and I, you know, I would make a little shout out to my niece. <laughs> Her name is Camille Eng, E-N-G. Uh, Camille, I-M-I-L-L-E. She's a, a young up and coming contemporary artist and uh, she's been doing some incredible work with um, uh, found material. And um, uh, she's, uh, you know, using like, um, uh, acrylic with lots of mirrors and lights and she's a tinkerer and she's just done some really really incredible work um, I would uh, I would definitely uh, check her Instagram and uh, and she's she's being represented by uh, galleries now really good galleries but uh, but I just love her work <laughs> and, <laughs> and my son and my son his name is Wolf um, Wolf with an E, uh, Wolf Gerardin, uh, and uh, he's uh, he's doing. He does a lot of uh, spoken word. He's also uh, uh, um, uh, does uh, is part of. Uh, he's just been recently part of an exhibit here in Montreal, which were he was invited by. Uh, it was famous artists that invite a guest artist, so he was invited. But he does spoken word and drawing, uh, illustration. Um, video art it's just you know expresses himself in so many ways but uh, I'm a huge fan of his work and not just because he's my son but I just <laughs> I do really love his work and the, his way of seeing the world but he's a really really amazing spoken word artist and um, you know he's a wordsmith and uh, definitely someone also to look out for so I have a there's a family of artists a generation of artists <laughs> yeah very cool uh what are the podcasts you listen to? Oh my God. Okay. Well, of course, there's the inevitable This American Life. And um, who do I listen to? I listen to Broken Record. I love that one. Hidden Brain. Um, Code Switch. Love that one. Fresh Air, of course. Um, I listen to The Moth. I love The Moth. It's like storytelling. That's really, really great. Um, mortified oh i love mortified so that's people reading their diary from when they were teenagers uh great women artists that's an amazing one if you want to you know dive deep into um uh you know like finding out about artists so this woman she uh interviews uh either curators or, or artists uh, living artists about you know different uh, women artists um reply all I love Reply All, which is, um, they're two geeks and uh, they uh, just go on, uh, you know, on uh, adventures to, to um, well, adventures. They, they, they address all sorts of issues that have to do with computers, but not, they're not just on computers. They're about like Instagram, social media, like Google, whatever, you know, anything that has to do with geek stuff, but they're really funny and, and also insightful as well. They're, they're, um, Oh my God, there's so many, so many. So um, uh, Endless Thread is good. Um, Science Versus, yeah, that's one that I just totally love. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I just could go on and on. Seriously, snap judgment. Snap judgment is so, so good. Yeah, so as you can tell, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, <laughs> uh, heavyweight, heavyweight is really brilliant. Um, yeah, because, you know, I walk to work. For, that's one thing, and that's a 45-minute walk. But also when I'm working with my hands, um, I mean, I listen to music, but sometimes I just want to, like, listen to people talk and, you know, share what they have to share and and uh yeah 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 so so yeah i'm a big big podcast listener that's cool so next question is what book or books that had an impact on you philosophically oh wow um uh yeah so okay the first one would be gaston bachelard so i wouldn't know how you would say it with an english accent gaston bachelard <laughs> That's horrible, right? I'm sorry. Um, he's a French philosopher, and uh, he just um, uh, he he really uh, speaks about anything. Like you know, he just like one of his books is about fire. Uh, one of his books is about um, uh, earth and uh, materiality of of earth. Um, one of them is on. Um, uh, I'm uh, just trying to think. Anyway, they're, they're just his themes are always about, you know, these big overarching like elements, but then he just writes entire books on them. And, you know, his mind just goes all over the place. But um, I just really like he's, he, I just really love his writing. Uh, philosophically, I would say another author that I really like, he's um, a curator and uh, an art historian. His name is Nicolas uh, Bourriau, B O U R R. I A U D, and um, he's uh, a contemporary, and his uh, way of analyzing and uh, understanding art and art making at this time um, that we're living in—not just you know COVID time, but just in the last ten years—you know—it's just really he's such he gives such great insights into the human psyche and society uh, as we are uh, you know going through it right now so he's a really big influence uh, for me uh, in terms of you know thinking deeper into art making um, I think also uh, Tim Ingold he's an anthropologist uh, and he's written some a book called making uh, so he talks a lot about the act of making and oh, I can't forget Glenn Adamson. He is, um, uh, wow, I don't know how to describe him, but art historian, I'm most probably um, uh, art historian. He's been a curator uh, in, um, and he's very, very versed in craft, but also in contemporary art. So sort of bridging the two. He's written some wonderful, wonderful books um, on, um, on art itself but he's also I recommend going on YouTube and just checking out his conferences um, on craft and art he's a very uh, a smart guy uh, with a, an incredible knowledge and database that he just seems to pull out of his out of his mind and and he he connects things to from the past to the present to the future in ways that are just so so intelligent and so uh, so stimulating. So yeah, I would say that he's another really great author. Okay, cool. Uh, what kind of music do you play at home? 
Uh, lots of different things, but I do like, uh, you know, I have a, I, I'd say like themes that I like is to just things that are just a little bit more quiet, uh, more relaxing, but, uh, it really depends on my mood. You know, if I'm vacuuming the house for sure, I'll be listening. <laughs> I'm, 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 maybe I'll listen to some punk rock, you know? Uh, but, um, you know, if I'm into deep thinking, I, I try to avoid uh, lyrics, you know, so I can just write or something. But uh, I would say that, um, wow, uh, these days I've been listening to uh, this band from Iceland called JFDR. Um, and I just, you know, just love it. It's very, uh, very moody and, um, and quiet. But um, I listen to, yeah, my, my taste in music are quite varied as well. I would say, you know, that I do have a, a very strong uh, inclination towards jazz. Uh, I've always been a jazz head since I'm a kid. You know, I think I just, my, my mom had Verve uh, records and, uh, you know, we had a record player, you know, that that's my age <laughs> my age group here we had a record player and you know we just played whatever was in the house so i just uh really fell into um you know ella fitzgerald duke ellington and uh and that you know when i was 10 or you know so uh but uh yeah i listened to um morton feldman which uh was a musician that was um that played um some John Cage stuff, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, folk. I love folk. I love Joni Mitchell, <laughs> uh, Bob Dylan, you know, those guys and uh, some younger people right now. Well, who was listening to yesterday? Morby. I think it's Kevin Morby. I just really love his work. Actually, you know what I like about this, uh, this guy is um, that he's, um, let me just pull out his name just to make sure that it is Kevin. It's one of those names that I, I don't, yeah, it is Kevin. Yeah, Kevin is such a name that I, hard to remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ke Kevin Morby, because he plays um, kind of folk, but sometimes it'll sound like Velvet Underground, uh, you know, like, so there's like sort of like this punk rock theme underneath it that I really like. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I listen to so many different things now. Yeah. Cool. And last question is, how do you decompress? Hmm. Well, you know, I have an on and off switch. That's it. There's no dimmer. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny though, because, uh, you know, people don't imagine that, like, you know, people who know me well, you know, they don't imagine that if I go on vacation, I'm like completely, <laughs> I immediately decompress. Um, you know, one of the best ways for me to decompress is, uh, I have a very playful, um, you know, uh, side to me. So I like to, you know, hang out with friends that are playful and, you know, we will just get real silly. Um, right, right now, because of the circumstances, I can't hang out with, um, people in real, uh, you know, in the same room. But I just, for example, uh, I have, uh, I was uh, Zooming with a friend um, who's in France and uh, I just made this little uh, whistle, uh, Ocarina, which is like a little ceramic whistle for my son. I'm sending it to him. He's in New Zealand right now. But my friend, um, he has two children and they're, they all play music and he's an artist as well. So we were talking, you know, just about this and that. And I said, Oh, look what I did. And I pulled it out. So of course his daughters just appeared in the, in the, in the camera, you know, they just, uh, and they started getting out their, their flutes, you know, they're like learning flute. And we just ended up having this like 
like like cacophonic uh, flute session, you know. So uh, we did that, and then uh, then he, you know, I just uh, sent him some videos that I was doing on walking around, uh, doing some performance art um, within the environment, and he sent me some stuff, you know. So that's just kind of that. that I love doing that. Uh, that's one of uh, my favorite ways of decompressing. Or else getting home and cooking and listening to some good music or, or, you know, podcasts. I guess that's my normal stuff, you know. Uh, these days I'm sampling sounds. I just go out and uh, sample sounds uh, with, uh, yeah, and I'm kind of doing these little sound uh, walks uh, and sending them out to my son. Uh, and then, you know, I, I will comment once in a while and say, oh, that was the guy. Uh, <laughs> walking backwards <laughs> and uh yeah just uh, so funny I love, yeah i think play for me is the best form of decompression like being very playful but you need play play friends for that right it's like so so sometimes i could be a sad puppy looking at a ball waiting for someone to come pick it up <laughs> yeah so yeah well well, this is was really fun talk to you yeah, and get yes. to know you outside of work. And yeah. you know, thank you so much for coming to the right angle. Oh, thank you so much. It was such great questions. They were so easy to answer. I was a little bit nervous, but not not when I started, you know, with you. So this is great. Thank you for those the insightful questions. Thanks for listening to the Right Angle Podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can stay connected with us through Instagram at the Right Angle Podcast, or reach out to me personally at Elo Design. I linked everything about my guests in the show notes, so please go check it out. Thanks again for listening, and see you guys next Wednesday.